This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Well, hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him in a very hot van in Portugal, Pete George. Pete, how is Portugal today, other than warm? Yeah, it looks really nice. We only just got here, so I had a chance to to look around. But yeah, weather's nice and makes a change from all the rain that we've had in Spain. I mean, you're 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 currently just outside of Braga. You're you're off to off to Porto. I mean, your Wolves have got Mendes, obviously bringing in Portuguese talent left, right, and centre. You're pretty much our answer to that, aren't you? Yeah, if there's any freebies about <laughs> or loans, we can we can we can probably stretch to we can stretch the loans in the next window, maybe just maybe as uh, as well, Pete. Um, but anyway, we are we're, we're here talking to you after the the defeat to Huddersfield. Um, it's going to be a little bit different uh, today. Obviously, normally we'd sit here and and rather clinically analyse the game um, that has just happened, but we are at the end of a, a, a of a run of five games going into an international break um, post a transfer window as well. So a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about today is how the things that we've seen and saw on Saturday against Huddersfield and the things we've seen over the last five games pertain to a bigger picture with Albion and where where are we as we go into into this first international break i mean i think the first thing to say is seven points from five relatively difficult games although in typical albion style we go and lose the one that is on paper the easiest of the five um is not an awful return it's not a great return either that's uh, that, that that has to be admitted but it's not it's not a it's not a bad return so i don't think we need to push the panic button by any stretch of the imagination i also think we don't need to push the panic button because you look at the way that huddersfield won the game on saturday and it so very easily could have been 2-1 albion as it was 2-1 to huddersfield of course 
Josh Mazza has has a chance before Huddersfield break upfield. I've had a look at the data w- with them and Mazza's shot was of uh, of a higher xg value than the one that Huddersfield scored but not by much they were relatively similar the reality is and we'll come to this a little bit later that when you look at the xg and the post expo- uh, post shot expected goals neither shot should really have gone in um so for Albion to lose it's a bit it's a bit of a sickener but over the course of the piece Pete how do you how do you reflect on on the first five games because I think I'm looking at it and seeing a work in progress, but things to work on. I think in terms of points that were picked up, it's been all right. We've had some some good wins in there. Um, obviously, it would have been better if we picked up a win against Huddersfield as well. But in terms of the points, tally, it's not been too bad. Yeah, definitely a work in progress. But I think there's some, if you look at well, the expected goals and the expected goals against over the, the first five games, and, you know, that's not pretty reading. Something like 20th in expected goals created so um not creating much and then the irony is we've lost to Huddersfield in the first game where we've actually won the xg battle 1.0 to 0.8 yeah so shows what that means doesn't it but yeah i mean the other end as well the chances that we're we're conceding we've got the fifth worst there so we're not creating an awful lot and we're conceding quite a few chances so it doesn't really bode well despite the the decent points tally um yeah it's is what yeah. we've done, particularly in the first four games, putting Saturday aside, Pete, because obviously we lost that one. But in the first four games, it's largely what we've done a little bit unsustainable. Do we? I mean, we'll come to where we need to be better in in a minute. But do we? Do we generally need to be better in a few key areas if 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 we're going to sustain the kind of points return that we saw, particularly in the first four games? Yeah, I think that's probably the concern. Is that despite the the decent start it's it looks like we are actually going to have to improve the performances to to keep that up going into the rest of the season um yeah the underlying numbers behind it you know they kind of point towards us maybe getting a little bit lucky rather than us almost deserving all the points that we've got i think it's fair to say as well that in key moments in games carlos corbran has uh, at times had had the upper hand i think uh, i i mean i i'm a great believer in there's no smoke without fire and if and and if you know we we started to pick up we were picking up results and i i felt that Cor- corbran had won the tactical battle against against a number of teams really i thought overall he he won it against leeds we were very we we were pretty solid and uh, and and he um uh, and he knew what he was doing to get that to get that point. Yeah, we had to ride our luck a little bit, and our goalkeeper had to have a very good game. But generally speaking, I thought I, I thought he he um, he knew what he was doing. I thought the same was true against Swansea. I thought he knew the areas he could hurt Swansea, and if it wasn't for a mad period at the end of the game, we would have won that comfortably. And then he just he just seems to have he just seems to have the better of Michael Carrick. I think I think Michael Carrick is. Um, is quite an idealistic manager. I think he, I think he, he, he likes to play his attacking, free-flowing football, and he won't change for anyone. And I think Corbran practically salivates at that kind of a manager because he's like, I can pick you off. Would it be fair to say that he rather met his match on Saturday? And as much as it pains me to uh, to to give credit to Mister Warnock, the wily old fox beat the young prodigy, didn't he? Yeah, he made it difficult for Albion and kind of just packed the middle, didn't he? And left those wide areas really free. But again, we didn't really want to use them because we knew that if we 
use that and had Jed Wallace whipping balls into the box and um, it would just be too easy for the Huddersfield defenders to head away and we didn't really have that aerial threat in the box. So we kind of just um, almost ignored the wide areas and tried to have these combinations in the middle. Ultimately, they weren't really smooth enough or threatening enough to actually break down the Huddersfield defence and consistently create any chances. Is that part of a broader problem, Pete? Because we, that's not the, that's not the first time we've spoken about this problem. I think, look, as as I reiterated, as I reiterated, then I think we are very good against teams like Middlesbrough who come to play against us. I think Corbran practically salivates against those kind of teams. I mean, look, he 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 was relatively unlucky to to uh, to not get at least a point, possibly even three away at Burnley. And there's not many teams who could say that last season. He likes teams to come on and play against us. I think he has a problem a real problem against teams that want to sit in against us and certainly teams that are intelligent enough to pack the middle of the park. I ran the numbers on this. We we played Huddersfield last season 1-1-0 with DK at centre forward. Obviously, we don't have that physical type striker at the moment. Against Huddersfield last season, we put 36 crosses into the box. On Saturday, we put only 15 in. I think as uh, once you take DK out of our forward line, it makes us enormously predictable. It really it takes a real threat, a weapon away from us, and and we refuse the opportunity to put crosses into the box. And managers like Warnock, who are who, who are smart, say what you like about Neil Warnock, but he's he's clever, he's wily, as I said before. He will say to you, fine. He'll say to his players before the game. Let Albion have as much of the ball as they want wide on the touchline because all they will do is recycle it back into the middle, looking for that ball through. And that's where you make sure they have absolutely nothing. I'm not going to kill anyone for standing off someone in a wide area. But if you let them play a through ball, let them play a killer pass, I'll have you. And that's that, That's what Warnock will have said. And he's not the only manager who's going to have said that. And the other thing that was noticeable with um, with, with Huddersfield, Pete, was that was that they went man for man with them because I mean without Ajayi we didn't have anyone who could pop balls over the uh, long balls over uh, out from the back and it was noticeable that our um, that, that our defensive passing numbers were very much poorer than they were against Middlesbrough and that's partly to do with it being a four not a five but it's also to do with Ajayi not being in there I think so they just went man for man and said right you try and play out from the back without a jai where you can't go long you're going to want to play short passes we are going to man for man mark everyone and we don't believe we've got you've got anyone in your side that can take a pass turn and beat a man and therefore create an overload in an area I'm laboring to the point here but my point is quite simple we don't have that physical type striker until DK is back probably November December time it's unfortunate we didn't have the money to go and get one in the window. We were linked with Caber. There was talk of people like Kiefer Moore. They would have been amazing and they would have really, really given us another dimension. But we are in the financial situation we're in. We we couldn't afford to go and get another centre forward. It is what it is. What we do have is one or two players sitting on the bench who can beat someone. And in those sorts of games, Pete, you don't necessarily start Sarmiento and, and Dean Garner against teams like... Middlesbrough who are going to come and have a go at you and going to leave open spaces behind them but when you're playing Huddersfield Town at home and you know without the ball they are just going to be rigid and they are going to congest central areas for me you have to start in particular Jeremy Sarmiento but 
at least one of the two, Sarmiento and uh, and Dean Garner. What do you say? Yeah, definitely agree on Sarmiento. I think he would have really suited the game as well, especially in the first half when we were trying to, where the front three kind of had the fluidity of going wherever they wanted on the pitch and trying to, to drag the Huddersfield defenders with them and create those gaps. I think Sarmiento would have done that a lot a lot more naturally and would have been a bit, sm- bit smoother and um, probably a bit more comfortable taking people on and, and taking one player out of the game than maybe Jed Wallace would have done, where he's kind of a bit more suited to staying out wide and getting the ball out there and then um, getting balls into the box. Um, I think when there's you've got when you want a winger that's comfortable drifting inside and maybe switching to the other flank and just kind of combining with short passes with the other attacking players and Samiento would have definitely been more suited to it and probably would have helped us actually break Huddersfield down a bit more. Um because I think it was good when he came on, but it just feels like if he'd got 90 minutes of, of trying to do it, then we might have actually created a few more chances. Yeah, because I mean, I saw people critical for the fact that we left ourselves open for the for the winner. I actually don't have a problem with that. Uh, I mean, that was obviously a, 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 a result of us to a certain degree, although we will talk about the winning goal and how appallingly badly it was handled by the players on the pitch it was a result to a point of us going for the game and committing players forward and having and bringing off people like Jason Malumbi who would have would have probably been tracking back and probably would have tracked the run of someone like Rodoni you put Sarmiento on that is his side it's it's fair to say that is his side if if that's somebody like Malumbi out there he's probably tracking Sarmiento doesn't so there has to be an an element where you admit the fact that you give certain things away when when you bring Jer- Jeremy Sarmiento on, but I'm not, I'm never ever going to have a go at Carlos Corbran going for it against Huddersfield Town at home at one-one with five minutes to go. I have no problem whatsoever with that. The, the, bringing Malumbi off made all the sense in the world to me. And if and if Josh Major sticks his chance away, everybody says, "Well done, Carlos. You didn't settle for a point. You went for it." Those are the fine margins. Where he's got it wrong for me, Pete, is the way he started the game. You know, I understood why he switched to a uh, to a four to try and make us more offensive, but it didn't really. You know, uh, Connor Townsend offers offers a threat, but he offers a threat from from wide. And again, Connor's passing data is good. He's played he's played uh, more key passes than anybody else. He's played more progressive passes than anybody else, but he's playing them into an area where we can't threaten because we haven't got a big man up front. We need somebody who can threaten into the right areas. And for me, in those sorts of games, I do not criticise Corbran for the changes that, in the end, as it turned out with hindsight, you know, we lost the game. And, we, and maybe we don't lose the game if Malumbi's still on the pitch. I don't care. That's not that. That's not a point of criticism for me, is going for a game at 1-1. For me, the point of criticism is not starting with Sarmiento in a game like that. Well, I mean, if we'd scored our chance before, if Madrid put his chance away, then we'd have got an extra two points from the one point we were already on when we were drawn, wouldn't we? So I'd say it's definitely worth a gamble to, to go for it, especially against Huddersfield, who I think most people expect to be towards the bottom of the league come the end of the season. And just in general, I think it's at least it's positive to, to go for it and go for the extra two points rather than and risk losing only one point. So I don't, I don't think you can really question that. The substitutions then, but yeah, I think maybe the starting lineup could have been different considering the way that we wanted to play. I get that it's quite often difficult to change a lineup that's 
that's won 4-2 the previous week. I mean, we did make some changes, but I think they were more forced with Ajayi and Eric Peters. I think both have been suffering from illness, so they were forced. But for the rest of it, it's, it's difficult to make the changes after such a good win. But I've seen like some maybe... people criticise the change of shape, Pete. Do you do you understand why why he why he changed the shape? Because I mean, he could have he could have kept the same same shape. He could have played Townsend as a as a left sided centre half, Bartley as a right sided centre half, Kipre. Uh, or, or Bartley through the middle and, uh, and Kipre on the right and kept Phillips and Furlong as, as wing-backs. Do, do you understand why he changed the shape? Yeah, I think so. I think I think he wants Kipre to kind of be in the centre of things. So I think if we'd gone for a back, back five um, with Kyle Bartley, then he would have almost needed to be in the centre just to be the, the aerial presence. Um, and as well with, with Townsend, probably better suited to, to play in the fullback and then going inside of the winger rather than playing as a wingback where he might need to hug the touchline a little bit more. So I think the shape kind of made a little bit of sense. And to be fair, probably just maybe not using the wide areas as much as, as we had done previously. So I think in a lot of ways that made sense um, and probably wasn't the issue, the issue really. I think it was more how it was carried out and the performances of the players on the pitch. Um, I think at the start of the game, we, we probably looked a little bit, bit leggy almost and, and tired and weren't as... The intensity wasn't there, but yeah, I mean, as well as that, I think, well, I think that's more the issue rather than the actual shape or um, the substitutions. I think it was more the, the initial lineup and probably how we actually performed in the game from the players. Obviously, we're talking about Sarmiento maybe should have started. The the player that he replaced uh, on, on the 66th minute was Jed Wallace. And I, look, anybody who listens to us regularly knows that we're, we're both big fans of, uh, of Jed Wallace and we don't uh, i think what i'm about to say should not be taken as a criticism of jed wallace himself because i think he's trying to do he's there is no lack of effort on jed's part but pete he's really struggling at the moment isn't he he's you know i i thought when when i saw the lineup i i thought oh okay jed's going to be more back to his more natural position maybe we'll see jed a, a bit more back to form because I thought he was much improved against Middlesbrough. I know some people disagreed with me. They they were quite vociferous about it on 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 Twitter or X if you want to call it that. Um, but I thought he was much improved against Middlesbrough. I thought he really struggled, really really struggled against Huddersfield. And and again, I mean, you, you just you just go back to the data and you compare it with the same game last year. It's 68 touches the ball last year versus 28 on on Saturday. 40 carries of the ball versus 16 on Saturday. Four progressive carries last year versus two on Saturday. It's like all of his numbers are just getting sliced in half. Pete, he's basic. He's he's half a player at the moment. He is he's he's fifty percent as uh, as effective as he was last season. And as I say, I'm not I'm I'm not having a go at him because I, I'm a re- really big fan of the guy. And look, I, I love anybody who I think doesn't leave anything out there. You know, I Pete. Some people will, will criticize a player if they're not playing to their maximum. I personally think if I can see a player doing everything they can to be the to try and do the best they can, then I'm not going to have a go at somebody for not being off for being off form. I think that's unfair. We all have bad days, bad weeks, bad months. But at some at some point, even though he wears the armband, there's probably got to come a point for Corbran where he just goes, 
Jed Wallace at this moment in time in the system that I'm playing is a square peg in a round hole. And maybe Jeremy Sarmiento is a much more round peg. No, he doesn't offer me more defensively, but there's got to come a point where you say, so what? Because because Jed is genuinely, he's ineffective at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, he's not particularly suited to having to kind of drift around the pitch. Um, I agree that he's better off when he's out on the right-hand side and he can um, stay wide and make, make those runs in behind and then whip balls into the box and have somebody to aim for. Um, I think the one the one positive that he had from yesterday was probably the areas that he received passes in um, rather than the actual passes that he made. He had the highest um, expected threat received and had five passes received that were progressive which I think was one of the highest and kind of helped us move forward in that sense. But yeah, when he actually had the ball, he he didn't do a lot and and probably didn't suit the way that we wanted to play against Huddersfield. I think that could probably change game by game, which is the tactics and different games will suit him more. So I wouldn't say he needs to be out of the starting 11 every single game, but I think with the way that Phillips is playing and Swift, they're both kind of undroppable at the minute. And if you do want to adapt the way that you want to play and, play like we did against Huddersfield then Sarmiento probably would be a better better option for that position. Away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Well, let's talk about John Swift because you've mentioned him there, Pete. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's nice because we've talked about a few negatives up to this point to to talk about a, a positive, to be honest with you. And John Swift has been... Absolutely tremendous for me. I thought he uh, he took his goal really, really well as well um, yesterday. And Pete, you know, I like to throw a cheeky John Swift quiz question at you. So here we go. When was the uh, and just so you know, it's not a trick question where the answer is never. Um, when was the last time John Swift scored from open play in back to back games? Um... I'll tell you, it was the opening two games of the 21-22 season for Reading when he went then went on to have his best ever season in terms of uh, in terms of numbers um scoring 11 goals and getting 13 assists that that season which is the most goals he's ever scored in a season most assists he's ever had in a season and obviously the most overall goal contributions. I mean 
I, uh, you, you look at you look at it overall, Pete. He he got six goals in forty five games last season for us. He's already got three this season. But the bigger thing for me is that is is scoring from open play because one of my big criticisms of John Swift last season was okay. I mean he's he's amazing from the penalty spot and that is that's a huge plus because we've missed a lot of big penalties over the last uh, over the last couple of years, but. And having somebody that you know is always going to stick them away is fantastic. But the fact that John Swift barely scored from open play for us last season was a real negative for me. To see him do that in back-to-back games and to have him really starting to look like a constant threat from open play. We talk about, you know, we are struggling for threat. We are struggling for goals. Um that's a massive plus. And, and John Swift was another one of the players that, that we looked at the XG of Pete and we said, or the non-penalty XG of, this guy should be scoring more. This guy's finishing isn't good enough. Well, I don't know whether he's worked on it over the summer, but I tell you what, when he ran through on Saturday, was there a doubt in your mind? Because there wasn't in mine. That that ball was only ever ending up in in one place, and it was it was a truly unerring finish. He 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 reversed that ball into the top corner, against Middlesbrough he just looks he looks like an offensive threat from open play and he's delivering brilliant set pieces as well he we are struggling for threat but I tell you what he's everything everything to our threat at the at this moment I I saw some people when he was linked with Coventry on deadline day saying I don't think John Swift would be would be that much of a loss are you joking me I'm not sure we could score a goal without him at the moment. I don't know. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I don't feel too too ashamed of not knowing the answer now that you tell me it was when he was playing for Reading. But um, yeah, he was uh, brilliant again against Huddersfield. And yeah, like you say, it's very very confident when he was running through. And what a pass it was from Thompson Sante as well. Perfectly. Yeah, rated. worth worth noting that because he's 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 got a little bit of stick, and I think Brandon at the moment he's not. Whilst he has scored a couple of goals, you know he's not he's not quite the threat he should be in front of goal. But I, but didn't but didn't he do well? And and, the, and and also the ball out from Malumbi to Brandon as well. Didn't he do well as well? You got to give credit where it's due. Yeah, and the pass was perfectly weighted and and perfectly timed as well. So kind of made it well not easy for Swift because he still had to put it away, but created a really big chance there. So yeah, that was really good from him. Um, but Swift. Is, yeah, looking confident and looking a threat and probably looking like the player we thought we'd signed from signed from Reading at the start of last season. I think he was always going to be quite a big goal threat and it's maybe taken a little bit of time to, to kind of to show. But if he can continue like he has been um, in the first five games, then hopefully he can get into to double figures for scoring and, and with the set pieces, I'm sure he'll pick up a few assists as well. But to the point that we've just made previously, Pete, he needs to not be the only threat because if he, if, if, at the moment, he he feels like he is the only threat. He is anything anything good offensively for Albion is going to come through John Swift at this moment in time, isn't it? If that continues to be the case, team teams are just going to double up on him. They're they're, they're just they're they're just going to man mark him out of the game. They're basically going to say say to someone right. 
you uh, you know I, I always go back to um uh, it was uh, i think it was because uh, I, rem- I remember reading it in zlatan ibrahimovic's book he said i think he said he hates jisung park because uh, b- because basically sir alex told him to um to man mark him in a champions league game and jisung park like never never left his side uh, uh, something like that and teams will just start doing that to john swift won't they they'll say right you take john swift out of the game you just be his shadow for the whole match and the rest of us will play 10 v 10 if we haven't got any other threats other than john swift that's that's what will end up happening isn't it yeah but then i suppose with the other players that we've got that's when sami and Tom phillips would probably get a little bit more space um and wallace when he's in form so obviously it'll not be a good thing because he's by far our best player so far but if he can create a little bit of space for other players and maybe open up a few gaps then in a way, it might actually be useful for us to, in breaking down teams, especially teams that play like Huddersfield did, where we don't get much space in and around the penalty area. Moving to the other end of the pitch, Pete, and I, I listened to um, to Carlos's comments on WM on, on, as we drove back, uh, as as I always as I always do. And it was interesting to hear him highlight the fact that the, the big thing that he feels like we've got to work on in the international break coming up is the fact that there's only been one game out of the five so far this season where we haven't conceded two goals. And that that's a big problem. And he basically said, if you concede two goals every game in the championship, you're not going to win many of them. And he's absolutely right. I mean, you look at, you, you look at the run that we had on, uh, under him last season how how many of them did we did we concede two goals in? It was it was almost never. I, I, obviously, there was the there was the Luton three two, but other than that, I don't I don't really remember any of them to be honest. So it, it's not Corbrand's way to go and uh, you know Kevin Keegan things and you, you score three, we'll score four. That's not that's never how his teams are going to play. And I think there's a couple of factors in why we are conceding as many goals as as we are at present um and this this is where it comes to the bigger picture chat one of them is i'm afraid to say alex palmer and I, i'm going to give more context on that in a moment because uh, i'd like to clarify because i know <laughs> i know somebody's already called me out on this on on social media i'm not saying alex palmer is having a bad season what I am going to say in a minute is that he's having an inconsistent season, but he's also not the only problem, Pete, because last season in 27 games under Corbran, we made seven errors in defensive actions that led to a shot on goal. So that's seven errors in 27 games by our defenders. This is not the goalkeeper. These are our defenders that led to a shot on goal. We've already made three errors in five games that have led, uh, but, uh, in defensive actions that have led to a shot on goal. We are making way, way, way more errors at the back per game than we were last season. And, bef- uh, and before we come on to Palmer, and Palmer has been a factor in us conceding too many goals, uh, but he's also he's he's also kept the score down at times, and that's worth saying as well. What is going on in front of him? is not good enough is it Pete and it, uh, but it, but I can also uh, but but also it it's hard to criticize Corbran because this isn't a system thing this isn't a we're too porous at the back this is individual mistakes which other than Corbran scream shout and maybe drop players 
I don't really see I don't really see how much you can do about people making errors. Yeah, well, like I said earlier, if we've got the fifth highest expected goals conceded per match, well, yeah, per match, just in total, or whatever, and you can't just put it on the keeper because we are conceding a lot of or big chances. So um, that kind of takes it off Palmer a little bit. But if they're coming from individual errors, individual errors, then it also takes it off off Corbran and the attacks a little bit. And it comes down to the actual players that we've got playing and, and making those errors. Um, obviously, we lost our best centre back. In the transfer window, which can't help, but but Corbran Corbran criticised after the Middlesbrough game um, what he described as a, a, a us being too relaxed at times. We've talked about this on a number of occasions since we started doing this pod, Pete, and it is it's it's very intangible. It's it, it's virtually impossible to me- measure. But is there a mentality issue? Maybe, yeah. I mean, it could be could be the case. Um, I suppose with, with Dara again, it's. He's obviously a big voice and um, probably helped players around him and keeping the focus and probably just kind of demanding. Well, he was our captain as well, Pete. I mean, and, and I think I think that's possibly something people have failed to uh, to to acknowledge is that we didn't just lose our best defender. We lost we lost our skipper. We lost our leader. Yeah, exactly. And and those two things paired together, you can kind of see why we are conceding more goals. Um, but you need people to step up and and take more responsibility and, and not just rely on, on Dara O'Shea to drag them into into good performances and staying focused. It should be a case of he's out of the squad and, and then we suddenly start leaking goals um, as good as he was for us. You need you need the players that come in to to have that composure, mentality, whatever you want to call it, to, to, to carry on with what we had last season and start keeping some clean sheets. Was all of this far too evident in the winning goal? against Huddersfield on on Saturday as I say look don't think don't think we're absolving Palmer from blame for either goal because we are going to come to this but before you get to Alex Palmer with that winning goal my goodness me how many times could that winning goal have been stopped first of all you've got Chalaber in the middle of the park as the ball goes in it's a weak challenge it's a weak challenge and then he has an opportunity to just drag the lad down. Now, I've said this multiple times on this on this podcast, and I don't care whether people like it or not. Your yellow is a free foul. It is there to be used. And I can't think of any more important moment to use it than in injury time at 1-1 when the team is breaking up field with numbers. For goodness sake, just drag him down. Take the yellow. So there's first of all, there's that. And then, and then Chalaber doesn't go on to track beyond that. But but that being said, and I've seen a lot of people trying to put the whole goal on Chalaber, and I'm not having that because that's scapegoating and uh, and it's not fair. Chalaber's made an error in there, a, a big one, but so have a number of other players. Even after Chalaber doesn't track, we have six players back in defensive positions. That is more than enough to stop that goal from happening. But Eric Peters is a good couple of yards deeper than his, his defence, which plays plays the lad on as he as he goes down down the line it's you know it's absolutely dreadful defending on top of that you've then got um Darnell Furlong just lets the lad run off him i mean it's 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 really is it it's just awful awful play and then as the ball go, uh, comes back to the edge of the box as as we say nobody's tracked Radoni but then equally that's that that's probably a, a 
a symptom of the fact that we've put so many attacking players on. I, I, I and we'll come to the fact that it, the ball should never in a zillion years beat beat Palmer. But I mean, there's just so many there's so many mentality issues there, Pete. First, there is there's Chalaba not wanting to stop the player enough. Then there's Eric Peters not being alive enough. And he wasn't alive enough against Leeds. Not the first time we've criticised Eric Peters to to think, hang on a second, I'm a yard or two behind the rest of my defence here. Harren has got a free run down uh, down his left, our right channel. And then you've got Darnell Furlong, who's sleepy, sleepy, sleepy as Harren runs off his shoulder and goes uh, and goes down that uh, goes down that line. It's a catalogue of errors before you even get to the goalkeeper and. There is an issue with the goalkeeper. He should stop it. And we'll come to that in a second. But when we talk about the the amount of errors we're making in defensive actions and how we are being our own worst enemy defensively, that goal encapsulates it for me. And it's a huge issue. But there's also a positive in there, Pete, in that these things are fixable. They just need people to engage brain, to switch on a little bit. And if they do, it solves this. It's not like the the shape is wrong, the personnel's not not, not good enough, that we haven't got the players to, to do what we want to do. We have if they just start playing playing football a little bit more intelligently. And in certain cases, particularly, I mean, with Peters, it's an intelligence issue. He's got to realise his position. Furlong and Chalaber, it's desire. Furlong sleeps as the lad runs off him. Chalaber's got got to take the booking and drag him down, um, or or be more more energetic in winning the ball. But I felt that that winning goal encapsulated everything that we've seen that's wrong about Albion defensively in the first five games of this season. And I'm telling you right now, I don't think that goal happens with Dara O'Shea at the back, not because Dara would necessarily have done anything to stop the goal itself, but I think he would have screamed at Peters. I think he would have screamed at Furlong and I think he would have absolutely ripped Chalaber's head off if if, if he if he hadn't gone into that. I think I think Daro Shea stops that goal without stopping it. What do you think? Everyone just seems to look knackered when Odessert were coming forward and no one could really be bothered to, to get close enough to anybody to actually stop it, which I mean, it's slightly more understandable for the players that have been on the pitch for 90 minutes, but Chalaber and Peter's case, it's you think you know they've only been on the pitch for twenty minutes or so. They should have enough energy to you know move to step up the pitch or to to get closer to the player. And like I say, just early on in the move for Chalaber, just if you need to, just take the foul and give him a free kick on the halfway line, and you know just set up from there and, and defend that. It's the last minute of the game, so it's it's not a big issue. But yeah, it just seemed to be everything looked looked very tired and and slow and. It just looks a little bit too easy for Huddersfield to kind of pass through and get that cross. And then Rudoni was in acres of space on the edge of the box and nobody got out quick enough to him either. So um, it seemed to be quite an easy goal for Huddersfield. And then we come to the keeper, Pete. And and look, you know, we are not, we're not going to sit here and pretend that, that Palmer hasn't had a bad game because he really, really has. He's He's got to stop both goals. For me, I, the first goal is appalling from Alex Palmer. Let's let let's call it what it is. That shot from Bertzog has a post shot expected goals of zero point zero nine. I mean, that 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 that's awful. That is truly truly awful to let in a, a shot like that at your near post. And 
then the second one, it's a you know, it's a bit more likely to go in zero point two three, but we're still talking only one in one in every uh, one in every four, one in every five going past you. I would still expect a goalkeeper like Alex Palmer to save that. It's it's just genuinely not good enough. I think there is. I think there's a bigger picture problem a little bit with Alex Palmer. As I say, I don't think he's playing badly. I think he's playing inconsistently, but I think he is also. I think he's possibly made to look like a better goalkeeper than his pre-injury numbers that by his pre-injury numbers from last season. But before we get to that, Pete, I want to talk about the nature of the, of the two goals. Palmer beat twice at his near post. Now, I was critical of him for the second goal at Blackburn for exactly the same thing. He get he got beat at his near post. We were critical about him a number of times last season for exactly the same thing, getting beat at his near post. Does he have a problem? Does he have a real sort of blind spot there? Because my concern here is if you and I, who, you know, let's let's call us what we are in terms of performance analysis um we're we're enthusiastic amateurs if you like if you and i can uh, can un- uncover that alex palmer has a problem there you can you can be damn sure that the people who do the performance analysis for the teams that are going to face us are going to spot this and they're going to start taking advantage of it hitting shots early against alex palmer because he doesn't seem secure down at that near post you know, and there was one shot that Huddersfield player took. I can't remember who it was towards the end of the game, and um, it was from a really, really tight angle. They didn't really have any other options on in the box, and just tried to hit it into the near post. And I wonder if it was something that had been spotted before the game, and something that Huddersfield were trying to target, because otherwise that shot seemed like such a, a pointless shot and almost disrespectful to the keeper to even go for it from there. Because as you know, keepers are you say never meant to be beaten from the near post, but if it's a weakness that has been spotted by by the Huddersfield analysts, then it kind of makes more sense why they'd go for something like that. Um, and then, obviously, to see him get beaten twice with the near post as well, is, it's definitely not promising. Um, and it's not the first time that we've seen it this season. Well, I was going to say, I mean, more than twice in one game, Pete. It's it's three times in five matches, which is the other way to look at it. Yeah, and it, it's starting to look like it is a weakness of his. Yeah, I can't really hazard a guess as to why, because, you know, goalkeepers bit of a specialist position but yeah it's, it seems to be a real weakness and and if it's something that keeps getting exploited then it's going to have some bad effects for for Albion. As I say there's a bigger picture here as well with with Alex Palmer. I, I think as I said as I said at the top of this Pete I think that there is the possibility that he's um the run of games he had before he got injured last season he might have just been running a little bit hot. Because it's not just the start of this season where we've seen some indifferent performances from Palmer. Um, now, before his injury last season, he had a post-shot expected goals of plus 1.4. For anybody who doesn't fully understand that, what uh, what what that basically means is that based upon the shots that he faced, Alex Palmer should have conceded one and a half effectively goals more than he did. So it means he's making saves that you wouldn't expect him to make. So that's that's a very positive statistic for a goalkeeper. Post his injury last season, he had a post-shot expected goals of minus 2.6, which basically means Alex Palmer has conceded two and a half goals more 
than he should have done based on the shots that he's faced. So that is a very bad statistic for a, for a goalkeeper. On top of that, before his injury, he only got he he, he only saved less than fifty percent of the shots that he faced in one game, which was Luton away this season. He's gone. He's already gone under fifty percent, or he's gone fifty percent or under in three games: Blackburn, Swansea, and Huddersfield. Now that's worrying because that was one of the things that we were very critical of David Button of. That it seemed like everybody, every time everybody had a shot on target, that it was going in the back of the net. And in three or five games, that kind of feels like it's been the case with Alex Palmer. Now. I'd like to clarify this because we are not saying that we've got a David Button situation on our hands here by any stretch of the imagination. Because ironically, you know, conversely, I should say, despite the fact that Alex Palmer has had three bad games, according to the numbers, which have been Blackburn, Swansea and Huddersfield, in the other two, he hasn't just played okay; He's played brilliantly against Middlesbrough and Leeds. So I'm not saying Alex Palmer is having a bad season. I'm saying he's having a deeply inconsistent season. But my concern is, Pete, if you said to me, what do I want? A goalkeeper that is decent every single week and maybe turns in a six or a seven performance out of 10 every single week, or would I rather have one that ha- uh, that in six games has three, four, five out of 10 performances and three, eight, nine out of 10 performances. I'd take the one who was consistent. And the problem is at the moment, what I'm seeing from Alex Palmer is a guy who is unbeatable one week and then doesn't seem to be able to stop anything the next. And, and that's, and that's a real problem because if, if that continues, I'm not saying this is the case at this moment in time, but, but if that were to continue, We've got to seriously consider Josh Griffiths as uh, as as an option because what you can't have a goalkeeper who you honestly don't know when they trot trot out on that pitch whether they're going to win you the game or lose you the game. You should just have confidence in them in them doing their job, and then let the outfield players win you the game. That should be the deciding factor, really, shouldn't it? Yeah, I think maybe when he first came into the side, he he was just really in form and was looking really good. I think it's probably levelled out a bit since then and, and maybe recent games he's maybe been a bit worse than he actually is. So, yeah, he's he's had bad bad games and, and letting goals that he shouldn't, but um I probably just think he's a decent keeper at this level. I think maybe we got a little bit carried away when he first came in and was looking like one of the best keepers in the league and, and now he's letting a few goals that he shouldn't have and he's been beaten at his near post a few times. Um if I was to ask you Proper sort of like, you know, um, hand on heart moment here, Pete. Who's the better keeper, Palmer or Griffiths? Who would you say? I think it's really diff- difficult to tell, especially with Griffiths, that we've not seen an awful lot of him. I think you sure would say that Griffiths hasn't got more potential than, than Palmer. Um, Higher ceiling, you, yeah. Yeah, if you do give him more game time, then he'll probably develop. And and if he's not already a better keeper, then it probably wouldn't take him too long to, to get there. But it's, it's whether he is now and whether it's worth the risk putting him in ahead of Palmer because Palmer does have these games where he's really good despite having a bit of a poor one yesterday. Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because and the and the other thing is and you've got to factor this in, Pete, that 
there's a very good chance Josh Griffiths isn't going to be with us for for that much longer. So do you, you know, Alex Palmer turned down a move to the Premier League in 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 the window showed real real commitment to the to the football club do you do you drop that uh, that that guy at the first sign of trouble for for a player that however talented he might be may well not be with us beyond january well that's the other difficulty isn't it i think what's he got left in his contract about a year and a half is it so um, yeah, I think it's the rest of this season and then next, which which basically means if he's still if he's still our player and he's not going to sign a new contract next summer, we will have to sell him. Yeah, and there's, he's going to be worth a little bit of money, especially compared to the rest of the squad with his age and ability, and you know he's played youth youth international football. So it is somebody that if he's not going to sign a new contract, we do need to cash in on and actually get a bit of value out of him. Whereas Palmer could potentially be the the first choice keeper for a few years coming so there's that aspect of as well, aspect as well when you're making a decision as to who should start just going back to the substitutions and you know uh, something that Albion fans have been highlighting quite a lot over the opening weeks of the season Pete is okay Koslu being substituted in and around the same sort of time most weeks I've just got some interesting numbers regarding that which is that in 21 games under Corbran last season, um, before his before his injury, um, which where he missed uh, he missed the Rotherham away game, and then he I think he missed four consecutive games. Before he got that injury, he was substituted before the 90th minute in just three matches. He was almost never brought off in the Premier League season. Um, he was almost never brought off for Celta Vigo before that as well. And yet since that injury, he has been brought off before the 90th minute in every single match he has played. Is there something deeper with OK Yacoslu regarding his, his fitness? Because you look back at all the data, or, well, all, uh, all, all, the, all his minutes completed and throughout his entire career, as a senior as a senior first choice pro there is no point where he has been regularly substituted at any stage even by this manager even by this manager before his injury and then he misses those four games and he has not completed 90 minutes since he missed those four games is is there an ongoing problem here that we don't know about? Is that I mean I, I realise that's a very speculative thing to ask because you don't have access to his medical records, but I'm just trying to figure out because it does seem to create a problem for us when 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 Yukoslu comes off. We we conceded two goals against um, against Swansea when he came off. We conceded two goals against Middlesbrough when he when he came off. We obviously conceded the the winner on Saturday as well when he came off, it does seem to create a problem for us, even when he's not at his best, when he comes off the pitch. But I'm trying to figure out whether it's a tactical thing or whether or, or whether we, you know, th- there is a bit of an ongoing issue that needs, that, that Koslu needs nursing, up, nursing through. Because as I say, Corbran himself only substituted him three times in 21 games prior to the 90th minute before his injury. And then he's the same manager has brought him off every single match he's played since. Yeah, when you look at it like that, it seems a bit strange. Um, when he first joined us in the Premier League, he, 
I thought it was quite noticeable that he seemed to struggle towards the end of games with his fitness and his performance has kind of dropped off in the last 20 or 30 minutes of games. Yeah, you you would have thought that's something that you could sort as a professional footballer. You think that your fitness, you could be able to last the, the full 90 minutes, especially after the pre-season. You'd have thought the fitness would be there or um, near enough to be able to last that long because, well, like you say, when, when would you have to take him off the, the drop-off between him and well, it's generally Chalaba replacing him, who's just nowhere near as good enough as as good as a defensive midfielder as Yakuzlu is, and yeah, we definitely suffer because of that. So if it is a fitness fitness issue, then something that needs to be sorted really, because when he does go off, then then we look a lot more open. Last thing, Pete, because I, I'm very mindful of the fact that, that van must be getting rather hot at this point in time. But uh, <laughs> just away from away from the football, the the window closed um since we since we last sat and recorded now in terms of actually having a competitive squad i suppose it was a positive end to the window because we didn't lose anyone on deadline day despite big big rumors around brandon thomas asante going to potentially stoke okay yakoslu going to turkey although we do have to put a little bit of an asterisk on that one because the turkish window remains open for another two weeks so if there was anything in those links there's that's not to say that someone like galatasaray couldn't still come in and uh, and make a move for um for, for yakoslu because they're their window remains open and obviously you've also got the Saudi window. I'm not even sure they have a window, to be honest with you, but their their, their transfer market remains open. So there is still potential for players to to go, but nobody went in the end. Bartley was linked with an exit. Dean Garner was linked with an exit. Even Swift was briefly linked with a move to Coventry, but we kept we kept them all and we added Pippa. We we wanted a we wanted a a, a right back slash right wing back. I mean, look from a financial point of view, and this is point has been made to me by a few people. It, it does put us in a bit of an awkward spot because the club were still keen to uh, to um, move players on if they could, because financially speaking, there is there is a gap and that we needed to get the wage bill down. We haven't really done that to the extent that we wanted to as I understand it, and th- there's a likelihood players will have to go in in January. So that's that's that side of, that side of it. However, enormous credit to Mark Miles because he clearly, clearly made his stance very clear, which is uh, which is what Carlos said in his his pre match press conference on I think it was the Friday, um, the Friday morning before the window shut on the Friday night that. Our players, our squad has a valuation and we are not going to let players go for less than that valuation. And I really, really respect Mark Miles for the fact that he stood by that promise. He stood by that assurance that that, that Carlos and that Carlos apparently seemingly was given that players would not be sold on the cheap. I think most of the clubs that came in for our players tried to take the Michael because they thought that we were so desperate that we would rip their hand off for virtually any realistic amount of money so that we could so that we could get players off the wage bill i'm not going to go into specifics but i i i'm i'm aware of some offers that were made to us earlier in the window that were insulting no there's nothing short of insulting clubs thought we were a bargain bucket and uh, and 
And do you know what? I res- really respect Mark Miles for digging his heels in. And because uh, I got to balance this because I was uh, I was a little critical of him advertising our position in the press at the start of the window. But do you know what? In the end, he strengthened our position by not selling anyone on the cheap because now, hopefully, when January rolls around, clubs might be able to might look at us and go, uh, OK, yeah, we could get Yukoslu or we could get Dean Garner or maybe Brandon Thomas Asante. But we're going to have to pay a reasonable price for them. And that puts us in a much stronger position. That's the financial side of it, Pete. I'll pass to you in terms of the on-field thing. Whilst we didn't really bring, other than Pippa, anyone in, we brought in the right wing back. Um, And Corbran had said a few days earlier that he had wanted an attacking player. He didn't get it. But given the players we kept... We we should be more than competitive, shouldn't we? And how happy are you with Pippa? So I suppose that they're my two footballing questions. I've I've sort of like um I've rattled on a bit about the the financial side of it. So I'll I'll uh, I'll um <laughs> I'll wipe that responsibility from from uh, from you. But from a footballing point of view, how competitive do you think this squad is? And how pleased are you with Pippa as an uh, as an addition? I think it was really important that we kept Thomas Asante. I think he's worth a lot more than than what Stoke were offering. And I, to be honest, I think five million would have been a good deal from Stoke's perspective if it paid that. I think he's probably worth a little bit more than that. But I think keeping keeping everyone was, yeah, it's going to prove really important. And in that perspective, it was um, a really good window. Um, we got the, the full-back wing-back that we want. Well, we wanted a wing-back and, and we got one in. And I think with that, you kind of, Got to trust Corbran. Um, don't mention, don't mention Reggie Cannon, mate. The 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 uh, the 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 there was there was no uh, there was no witch hunt. There was no fake news. <laughs> the Albion account has uh, has made that very very clear. So yeah, let's not um let <laughs> let's not mention the ones that didn't happen and maybe never were going to happen. But I think Pip Pip. Let's just say Pippa was the was the one and only target, re- regardless of. Uh, what you may have read elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, that provided some entertainment for the evening. But um, yeah, I think you got to just trust Corbin with Pippery. Worked with him at Huddersfield, and then I think he took took him with him to um, Olympiacos as well. So clearly, he rates him highly. Um, I think he's and he's played Champions League football as well, mate. And, you know, so that's it's not it's not a lot of players in the Albion squad who 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 can say that. No, um, I think he's a good technical fullback. Um, it's going to suit suit the side in terms of maybe not just sticking to to what you'd expect the traditional right back area to be. Um, you know, you see Furlong drifting inside a lot, and especially against Huddersfield, he's coming inside and supporting the midfield. And I imagine he'll want Pippa to do the same when he plays. Um, it'll be interesting when he when he actually settles in and, and gets up to to fitness, whether he eventually starts starts games or if he's considered a backup to Furlong. Um, and again, on the the financial side of it, I think it's good that it's only a loan deal. Um, you know, we're not committing anything, any long-term contracts, or or adding to the wage bill a lot in the come looking into the future. So, yeah, I think I think the business that we did on deadline day was was really good. Um, as long as the financial side of it is is all right until January. Yeah, on on Pippa, I I actually um because uh, I've got a WhatsApp group with a with a few of the other the few few of the other Championship podcasts and uh, uh, the Huddersfield fan messaged me um, uh, saying that um, 
he's not great in a rigid system, but you you give it you give him freedom, and he really does look quite good. So, I I would suggest that there's probably a fair chance that um, he won't necessarily start, particularly a lot of games where we are looking to be solid. But I think he's one that certainly could be unleashed later in games if we need a goal or games like Saturday against teams like Huddersfield where we need to be a little bit more offensive. But that remains to be seen. Um, but until then, uh, we shall uh, we we shall have to leave it here because we do have an international break uh, now that might be. Um, we might be able to get a little something for you between between now and the um uh, the the uh, the next Albion game although uh, Pete you're 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 off in your jolly travels and uh, I I myself am going on a, a scouting mission I'm I'm doing eastern europe for us so I'm I'm off to Bucharest for a, uh, for a few days so um yeah uh, if you if you can cover off um, uh, sunny spain and portugal I'll I'll see if there's any Euro- eastern european talent that we that we should uh, should be looking at Oh, yeah, good. come up with some good players there. Between us, we've got it sorted, mate. So uh, uh, we might be able to get you a bit of content during the international break, but if we can't, um, my humblest apologies. But you know, we all we all um, deserve a holiday from from time to time. But one thing I can guarantee you is we will be back when Albion return to action against Bristol City away. I've got my tickets. I'm ready for my trip down to um, Ashton Gate. If, um, if 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 nothing else, Pete, there's a there is a KFC right outside the ground. So um, at least at least the uh, the day won't be a complete and utter bust but um we might be back slightly before then we uh, or we might be back for for the Bristol City game it remains to be seen don't follow uh, follow us on twitter if you don't already at albion analysis um because any new episodes that uh, that uh, that drop we will tweet about them and I'll try and tweet in advance from there if we do indeed manage to get a get a um, a special recorded during this international break but until then Thanks for listening and up the baggies. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.